Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to Single-Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. I'm a uh, journalist, an author, and podcaster. In addition to this show, you can check me out on Blocked and Reported. That's the uh, weekly podcast I host with Katie Herzog, blockedandreported.org. I also have a uh, substack at jessiesingle.substack.com. My latest uh, premium newsletter, which has like a free preview, posted it yesterday. It has to do with a lot of um, campus free speech stuff, and it, it got a bit of a response, so might be of interest to you. Uh, today, I'm mostly just going to take your questions and comments, so feel free to jump in the queue. I wanted to talk a little bit of about libs of TikTok, which is this uh, sort of a right-wing outrage account on Twitter that takes crazy stuff liberals and leftists say and sort of holds them up for ridicule excuse me for ridicule um there was just an article in uh the washington post uh basically revealing who the author of libs of tiktok is it is this uh orthodox jewish lady sort of random because i think there was some speculation and it maybe would have been a more interesting story if it turned out this was being controlled by like some Republican operative or someone else with power. Really, it was it was basically this woman who sort of shifted from, I'd argue, from grift to grift online uh, until she stumbled upon this surefire way to to get people's attention, which is to just like find the craziest people on the left and um, you know blow up their their TikToks or whatever. One thing I've noticed is that. We, um, I guess I can say we because it's the left. I do identify with the left. Haven't really come up with like a good way to respond to the fact that there are some crazy people in our ranks, like with any other political movement. Uh, I, I'm seeing a lot of responses like, well, this is complicated. Libs of TikTok is a pretty nasty account. They spread stuff they know is not true. I know this because they spread a rumor about a school letting kids use a litter box because they identified as cats. The video they posted did not even really show that. I actually reached out to the school district in question. They flatly said this never happened, and I think there's no evidence of it. So this is not an account that is above just like lying or spreading misinformation. I also think they're straightforwardly homophobic because they posted a video of a teacher talking about coming out to his class, which is something gay teachers will do sometimes, and said... Any teacher who comes out uh, to their class should be fired, which uh, to me is textbook homophobia. So it's it's a nasty account, and I'm not defending it. But what I think we need to be maybe more strategic about is like, what do we say when people pick like the craziest people on our side and and hold them up for ridicule? What's our response to that? And and in my experience lately, the response has been to deny that anyone is saying anything crazy. Uh, this this went into the. Um, the defeat of the Democrats in Loudoun County or in Virginia, uh, Terry McAuliffe was defeated by Glenn Youngkin, but the stuff going on in Loudoun County, uh, which was covered well by the dispatch and Matt Taibbi and others. A lot of it was more complicated than like, should we be racist or should we be not racist? It, it was parents really feeling like they didn't have control over what was going on in their schools. Like they didn't have control over whether schools would reopen creeping encroachment of like some pretty weird lefty stuff, like especially in diversity training. <laughs> there were some genuine radicals on the school board who, you know, I wouldn't want to make decisions about education or kids. Uh, but the response among mainstream lefties was to just say, 
well, Youngkin won the election because of racism, because there were a lot of racist people and a lot of racist parents. It was white supremacy. There was just like not really a moment of self-reflection of whether we should maybe, you know, within institutions run by liberals. Uh, it's just a lot of like denying that there's anything weird going on on the left or there's any crazy people. And with the libs of TikTok thing, it was like it's been a little bit misrepresented as though libs of TikTok is only blowing up people like, you know, just normal teachers just saying they want to support kids who come out as gay or support themselves. Uh, and some of it's that, like with the one I mentioned of the, the teacher coming out as gay. But libs of TikTok does highlight some completely crazy people. And I, I think they're crazy and they're outliers and you can say that. But to pretend there isn't some craziness going on or that there isn't like really provocative stuff that would activate the average parent because some of these teachers come across like narcissistic assholes who are pretty open about their desire to like foist their politics on your kids. The average voter does not want to be told that their teacher is going to foist their politics on their kid. That is something that the Republicans have rightly latched onto because it will always be a political winner. Whatever the details, whatever the truth of it, whatever the exaggeration, it'll work. Freddie DeBoer has this thing I like where he points out Democrats always complain that like Republicans aren't being fair. They're Oh, they're exaggerating. They're not following the rules. They're not following the evidence. It's like that's sort of politics. Like you, you need to just be able to come up with a response to what they are slinging. And in this case, what they're slinging has an element of truth to it. There are these videos of teachers who seem fucking crazy. To deny that they're crazy or to misrepresent what's in the videos isn't going to get you anywhere because the Republicans will just say, no, here's the link to the video. Here's what the teacher said. What's your response? So that's my main view on all this. I, I just I, – I think everyone's got such a siege mentality now. It feels like a defeat or like giving aid and comfort to the enemy to even admit there's some crazy people on the left. I think the average teacher, the median teacher, like the median professor is not crazy and is just trying to do their job. But uh, – we need to have some answer when the crazies are held up for ridicule or when the crazies uh, are treated like they're the average like liberal teacher. So, uh, yeah, I'm running out of stuff to say about this. Folks should jump in the queue if they have any comments or questions. Um, the thing I'm working on for tomorrow in my newsletter is about um, Vulture. Uh, I'll just say this quickly, then I'll get to you, Pongo, too. Vulture has a review of PJ Vote's new podcast on cryptocurrency. PJ Vote was this really celebrated podcast host uh, for Reply All, which was the best show on Gimlet, this podcast network. Great show about internet culture. Uh, PJ was basically driven out of his job. He technically stepped down, but he, I think he was really forced to. He was driven out as a result of these very vague charges because he had been against a unionization effort before he decided he was for it within Gimlet. Uh, more than a year later, no one can explain exactly what he did that would warrant his uh, career being torpedoed the way it was. But in, in Vulture today, uh, this otherwise talented guy who reviews podcasts just basically took that as a given that PJ Vote did something horrible. And it just reminded me of this like really bad witch hunt atmosphere that has come to prevail in, in journalism. Um, and uh, yeah, check out the Vulture review of uh, PJ Vote VOGT's crypto podcast. And then uh, if you subscribe to my newsletter, that should be up tomorrow. Pongo2, what is up? Hey, hey, Jesse. Um, yeah, I guess just commenting on the last thing you said about uh, libs of TikTok, um, like the the way that the left in the, in America has to find a way to like respond to like the most um, extreme or uh, 
out there parts of this coalition. It does sort of come back to, I think David Crumb's talked a little bit about this, which is like the di the dynamics of the parties in the US is kind of um, like the, the Republicans essentially tend to represent at least like for the last 60 or 70 years or so, like what could be called the American mainstream, like in so far as there's like an eth ethnically, religiously homogenous core of like the American population, they represent that. And it's been shrinking over time, but it does kind of give them the, it does kind of give them the, it gives, makes their coalition a lot simpler than the Democratic coalition, whereas the Democrats represent basically everything else. And it seems like the big, I, I feel like the Democrats sort of view it as unfair because the Republicans, like uh, their most prominent media figures and most prominent politicians are able to wear like their extremism and their ridiculousness out on their, out on their sleeves. Yeah. And like Donald Trump was like the, the, the biggest extreme of that, whereas, and I guess like the, to a Democrat, especially like a lefty Democrat who's hearing like this kind of thing, they're saying, well, no, we need to like pro proclaim our, you know, love or our love of freedom or like uh, our uh, support for trans people or something even louder. And that's the way you win. But I think the Democrats are sort of running into the reality that like uh, part of managing a diverse coalition is that um, part of like a, Inevitably, you're going to have parts of that coalition who both have genuinely conflicting interests and also, in many cases, genuinely do not like each other um, yep. to, to a, in a greater than trivial degree. And uh, managing that in a democratic in democratic politics is going to have to result in some prioritization. And I think it's difficult because especially because this most extreme part that's putting out that's putting out all this material that's making the rest of the coalition look bad is generally speaking, expressing the views of the of what is probably like demographically the smallest part of that coalition, but in yeah. terms of political influence, probably the most powerful part of that coalition. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's complicated, right? Because again, Joe Biden, Biden won the nomination, but these ideas being expressed, you'll find them in a lot of universities and NGOs and in some quarters of the Democratic Party. So, I mean, I should have mentioned in my sort of wind up address, as it were, that uh, I still wouldn't want to change places with the Republicans in terms of the crazies because that the, the craziest ideas imaginable, including that Trump didn't win, uh, lose the election, are completely mainstream within the Republican Party. And they've, they've, they've lost to their crazies, and that's a really bad situation to be in. Uh, I should have been clear about just, that. Yeah, but, because, but both because they have a more homogenous like, base and because they are favored by the U.S. electoral system, it hasn't cost them as much as it could cost the Democrats. Yeah, I think that's... Um, Totally and, true, and it's worth pointing out that like uh, like Biden won ru running for the for the parts of the coalition that are probably farthest away from these libs of TikTok videos or whatever. But his his campaign and probably most of his administration is still largely staffed by them, and uh, like to to a great degree, probably less than it would have been have been had like Warren won or something like that. And within the media and stuff, all the visible parts, all the visible leadership of like the left is the part that's affiliated, like not 100 percent, but it's it's, oh, it's it is disproportionately affiliated with like these kind of far left, especially on the social gender things that is most easy to point and laugh at. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And uh, thank you for the call. Yeah. Thank you. Daniel, what is up? Um, hey, Jesse, thanks for taking my call. 
the one thing that I'm I'm noticing in a lot of these issues, uh, I think both on the sort of on the uh, race and especially on the transgender, is that the Democrats, the, I think the Democrats, like they believe their own propaganda. And I think that this is really causing them to like fail to perceive what's really going on. I mean, the Loudoun County, just to give a few examples of that, and then maybe you could comment and see if you, you see it the same way. But in Loudoun County, you know, this got portrayed as, uh, you know, being about racism. And they brought Obama in and he said this is a phony culture war issue, which really ignored the fact that, that as Matt Taibbi, Matt Taibbi reported about this, the where this started was a lot of uh, Asian American parents who were very upset because like they, they lost access to a merit merit based STEM program. Um, so you're portraying this as like, Oh, these voters are just racist. And I think what's happening is that the Democrats are not seeing that there's a, that there's a sector of the electorate that has a legitimate grievance. Um, I, I mean, I think, hey, that, I think uh, you cut out for a minute. I'll... Oh yeah. And that, I mean, also like with the, also on the, oh, sorry, I just had a connection thing, issue. Continue legitimate grievance. He said, yeah, that they had a legitimate grievance that there was something actually going on in Loudoun County that people had a real concern about. And I think what's happened with the, the so-called don't say gay bill um, is that, you know, now it's it that, that, that I think it's a badly written piece of legislation, but I don't think that what the Democrats understand is that this is being written by people who have some really legitimate concerns and, you know, their motivations and their concerns are legitimate about the introduction of, of transgender ideology into the schools or cases where, uh, where teachers are, they're, you know, uh, gender transitioning kids and keeping it secret from parents. And then what happens is that this gets, this gets portrayed as being, you know, old, old fashioned um, homophobia. And, and, you know, and I, I, again, the third point is I see how now that the Biden administration has come down in favor of, you know, gen, gender affirming care. And I just think, why, you know, why would they be doing this? I just I don't think that they see that they are walking into a political trap on this. And again, I think it's because, I, you know, it's like a friend of mine used to say would say they're, you know, they're breathing their own exhaust. They believe their own propaganda and they're just not accurately seeing the the uh, perceiving the political landscape. And I'm I'm wondering if you share that view or different. Yeah, I mean, there's a few different things. I, I I think the most likely explanation for the Biden administration's health and human services stuff on um, youth gender transition is that like a lot of people on the left who you know uh, elite types who, who work in the government or for NGOs, they are convinced that there's a very strong evidence base for these treatments, which I don't think we have yet. Um, we might someday, but every everyone who's looked at these treatments in a serious way thinks there's gaps in them. I will say, I was like trying to figure out exactly where HHS is on this, and, and I read one of their statements. They, they actually phrased it kind of carefully. They said, like, the majority of medical groups support these treatments if they're medically necessary. They didn't define stuff enough, but... Um, I think they're just like a little ahead of their skis on that. It's the same thing where you just can't admit any weakness on your side or any nuance. It would have been easy three or four years ago for 
major for the ACLU and GLAD and others to be like, look, we think these treatments help. We need more. We need more evidence. Nobody wants to give hormones to a kid who won't benefit from them. But there, there's none of that. It's just the idea that if you have any questions or any qualms, you're a bigot, which absolutely puts Democrats in a political trap because now the Florida Department of Health or whatever it's called down there has has issued its own guidelines that are much more skeptical and you know what? They they make some pretty good points about the lack of data. I would not have gone the route they did and just banned treatment for under 18s. That's a horrible idea, but it's hard to push back against it when you've caved out a pretty unscientific position yourself. Um, on the so-called don't say gay bill, I mean, I don't know. It, you can say they're coming from a legitimate place, but why not ban what you want to ban? And then we can have that conversation. Instead, they 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 did a horribly written bill that will make it so that you like can't teach that gay couple's But um, anyway, I thought the Loudoun County point, your, your point was particularly important just because there's so many immigrant groups that are part of the Democratic base and that actually have like – this should not surprise anyone who knows how immigration works, but they have pretty like quote-unquote all-American views on things like effort and meritocracy and just wanting their kids to get the best education possible. I'm actually like to the left of them on those issues because I sort of think some of those ideas are a little bit fraudulent, but that's that's what a lot of immigrant groups believe. So to paint as white supremacist their desire to have like top flight educational opportunities for their kids or to do everything they can to make sure their kids get high exam marks or whatever is such a uh, political example of just tripping over your own feet. It, it's sort of laughable. Well, I, I mean, I agree. I agree with you. And I, I mean, I agree that the, I mean, I agree with you about the, the, you know, how wrongheaded the Republican response is. And, you know, I mean, no big surprise there that, you know, that the way that they're beating a political drum. But I think on the transgender issue, I don't think that they understand that people see. I mean, if you look at, you know, what Abigail Schreier writes about and there's a lot of these instances where, you know, and, and I guess this is, you know, this is sort of highlighted in the in the libs of tip tack at the extreme end is that is that if parents perceive teachers or educators as coming between them and their children and i and i think there, there's there's some you know basis for them having that fear it's the most toxic thing possible to parents not, are not going to respond like, to the like this yeah. thing from a political winner if yeah if you want to create a backlash movement that's going to bring together i mean you're going to bring together traditional segments of the right and the, and the Christian right. But there, there are a lot of people with, you know, otherwise liberal or progressive views, you know, they're, that are going to be just as outraged about it. And so apart from like the arguments on the merits, I, I just, I just think that I, I think that their that their sort of ideological predispositions is making them blind to the political trap they're walking into. That's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna let you go. But those are those are fair points. I think a huge trap they're walking into is the stuff about guidelines saying uh, teachers and administrators should hide from parents when like nine and 10 and 11 year old kids are transitioning, which is just like, uh, I can't imagine an easier way, like you said, to unite people against Democrats, uh, it's just it's just they put no thought into this. It's this really sort of reactionary um, fuck the parents, the parents are bigots approach, which is not going to work on actual parents because 
none of this works on actual parents. So I don't, I don't know what they're doing there. It's a very bad idea. And I, I think these stories haven't really come out. I don't want to make it sound like every school has this policy, but there are, there's training materials. Um, and there's schools where this is the policy that a, the kid, an eight or nine or 10 year old just says, yeah, my parents don't accept me. And then this, this sort of machinery goes into motion where the whole school works with the kid to hide what's going on from the parent. And you can see how, if you're a parent, that would be disturbing. Uh, go ahead. A. You got to hit the little uh, mic thing to unmute yourself. Oh, uh, Hey, thanks. Hey, uh, hey uh, Hey, Jesse, I just wanted to say, first of all, uh, I'm a really big fan of your music as Juicy. And I was just <laughs> wondering, uh, yeah, no problem. I was just wondering if you have any more raps coming out or any more bars that you're writing and if you're going to share any more art with the world. The, uh, the UN Commission on Human Rights has banned me from producing any more rap music, so nothing in the works right now. That's a real shame. Um, I just wanted to ask, though, as, uh, as well about libs of TikTok and what you think about it. Um, how the argument is kind of being framed at the moment in terms of the article uh, being equivalent to doxing of libs of TikTok and people on the right saying that there has there's no real like uh, public value in exposing who this person is and that uh, they're just a private figure you know putting stuff up on Twitter and that it's not really a news interest story and what you think of that. Yeah, I mean, obviously that the public private distinction is getting really blurred because this was someone who had created such a successful Twitter account, they had attracted interest from the likes of Joe Rogan. And I think at a certain point, um, I'm torn on this. I don't think anyone has an expectation of perfect privacy when you become that influential. And and I find it hard to even see the argument. I, I do think maybe once you find out that the person behind the account isn't Steve Bannon, you can just like say, like, look, we're going to err on the side of not ruining their life and not give their real name but i i I don't know i don't i don't they became an influential figure to libs of tiktok is undeniably a newsworthy phenomenon i really would oppose this sort of behavior if it's like you know there's been journalists um revealing the names of people who like donate to the kyle rittenhouse defense fund or or other small time trollish twitter accounts I, i don't think there's any clear black line here but i I just i think libs of tiktok was well well over it i just think people need to accept that if that's the rule that's the rule for either side and maybe you'll have a beloved twitter account that size you you now can't complain if the right does that to you although of course people will does that um are you sympathetic to that yeah i would be uh i think in this particular case as well like uh i think they're so influential not just culturally but politically in particular and like also they have engaged in questionable practices themselves in terms of looking to get people fired and they're kind of uh, getting into that domain themselves that i just think i wouldn't feel as sympathetic uh in that case about them getting doxxed through material that was all open source online like there was nothing really nefarious about how it was done it was all just decent reporting even though i wouldn't be the biggest fan of that reporter like but i thought it was a decently report or well-reported story and i just think in totality i think like every, taking everything into consideration i don't think it, it was over the line at all i think in another case like if someone is maybe big but they're like a very benign account who's like not engaging in any questionable stuff let's say even something like banksy now the artist like doesn't bother me that like you know if, if we never find out who that is like you know and i think it sometimes i think it might be bad 
uh, form if they were to try and like expose him now at this stage, like given that like you know he's gone like he really doesn't want to be exposed and he's not doing anything out of the way anyway. Whereas I think yeah. if someone's doing something like really politically motivated and they're delving into that realm, I think you know transparency isn't necessarily a bad thing in that circumstance. Yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to agree with you. The one challenge to that is that obviously there's going to be disagreement on what behavior is sufficiently over the line where it's like, okay, now you can reveal who they are. And and I think people unfortunately are just going to use their own like partisan affiliations as a proxy for that because people hold the other side to a a much different standard. But yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense to me. If it's a, if it's an account with five hundred thousand people, that's like drill or just dumb funny memes, and it caught on for that reason. You know, it's less newsworthy. There's less public interest in in revealing who it is. But um, yeah, that that makes sense to me. Uh, thank you for the call, Nelson. You are up. Nelson, you got to uh, unmute yourself. Oh, I thought I did. No Thanks. Uh, I just want to say big fan and listening to the conversation. I have like a lot of these same kind of debates about uh, what's a public figure enough. I, something that I've kind of been thinking about is, is someone's real identity really matter when it comes to this stuff? Um, you know, so like this, this libs of TikTok is doing something important and you find that out in your research. Does that matter versus they're just some nobody and now you have a name on them? And, you know, that, that I think is really kind of like the, the life destroying thing that bothers me, I think, is if someone is just kind of trying to do their thing and they're not, you know, in a position of power in their real life. It's like, like, what's the justification for exposing rather than just you're trying to silence this person? Um, yeah. So I, I guess I guess the response to that would be that lives of TikTok itself. Um, I mean, they were using publicly posted videos, but they they did sort of try to temporarily wreck the lives of these dumb teachers, right? Yeah, no, that's that's true. Um, that's that's a that's a point. Um, going to the the lives of TikTok herself, um, I think it's a lot of really because you know i feel like the, the right's kind of been winning a lot the last two years just in terms of like public perception and battles and part of that's kind of what the left is doing but part of it is i think the the right like these kinds of accounts uh, especially on tiktok i think they're doing a really good job of just laundering people's disgust like almost all of the uh you know people that they show on there even if they're not saying anything that's too outrageous or out there um you know they're they're usually have something in their appearance that is you know off-putting to a lot of these people i think and i kind of worry that you know the, the right just getting like really good at these kind of like below you know below the rational process the, op kind of the optics of it yeah yeah and yep. it's like the rest is kind of secondary milo yiannopoulos was like who i loathe for many reasons was a pioneer of that him and breitbart would always post these videos of like these incredibly unappealing 20 year olds on college campuses having meltdowns often having meltdowns because milo was speaking and it was gross and underhanded but it completely worked and it helped make him a star because there's a huge market for outrage content uh particularly when it reinforces our stereotypes and you know we all know people who are dumb annoying fake radical leftists with green hair or whatever. I, I still think they're a overall an outlier, but they exist. So I, I think there's a lot of uh, page views to be churned out just by pointing at them and laughing. And that's why Libs of TikTok took off. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
Uh, I think another thing that is going to kind of be interesting is it seems like kind of the debate I was like looking at just like the Twitter account is kind of turning into, um, you know, what exactly are these, you know, people doing in terms of the teachers? Um, because Libs of TikTok, I think, is kind of saying that, oh, it's not just because they're being vaguely left wing. It's because of, you know, the kids stuff that we're talking about. So like, how much would it be justified to, you know, not have a teacher there if they're talking about, I don't want you know, you to listen to your, your parents if you're this way. Um, so I think that's all another thing that comes into it. Yeah. Yeah. That issue of like, um, forcing a wedge between student and child is always going to get a lot of political attention. And at least a couple of the videos seem to show teachers trying to do that. It's always hard to know if people are just like trying to show off on, um, you know, on social media and if that actually reflects how, what they're doing in real life, there was just this blow up about a med student, basically implying she had stuck someone for a blood test and extra time because they didn't like her pronoun badge and it became a Fox News story. They got blown up. Their school investigated and found that they didn't actually do this. They called for uh, their supervisor to help them draw the blood. But um, yeah, it, when pe people just need to be on social media less. There's very little upside <laughs> unless you're uh, a hackish pundit like I am. But uh, anyway, thank you for the call, Nelson. Mm -hmm. Next up is Meg and then Joshua and then that'll be it. Hey, um, just so you know, I, I don't know if you do, but Ben Shapiro still does those kind of outrage videos, basically like libs of TikTok on Snapchat. So yeah, <laughs> it was though so it still existed. And I guess my question for you is: It seems like there's crazies on both sides, right? Cringe-inducing crazy people. And yes, the Democrats say it's not fair. And, and I do agree. It's like, why do we have to answer for the crazies on our side when it feels like Republicans can just, they just skim right over it, you know? Um, That's, yeah. I mean, I think we just do for tactical, pragmatic reasons, because if we don't, they will um, just endlessly highlight the crazies. And they seem pretty good at winning, at starting and usually winning these culture war battles. And we are so we've become so pious about it and, and, and adopted such a siege mentality of we can never even admit anyone's crazy or that there's any silly ideas on the left that um, I just, I think we need countermeasures, but I'm, I'm, I'm definitely resentful of it. I mean, I, I see people um, who will launch these elaborate theories of like the psychology of woke people and leftists and, you know, liberalism is a mental disorder was the name of a book by uh, I think Mark Levin, the, awful right-wing radio host and it's like i mean if we're really worried about you know people being too obsessed with masking shouldn't you worry about the fact that tens of millions of republicans have adopted a crazy conspiracy theory that would have basically led to the end of democracy in the states i would think that would be a higher priority so i'm with you in that there's like a certain asymmetry and it's like why do we have to talk about uh lefty crazy people so much right and i feel like i also feel like democrats they they it's hard because i do I feel conflicted because I want to act respectfully and with decorum or whatever. But when they're fighting dirty, we don't fight dirty. And I think that's also partially why we end up in this shitty place. So it's like, well, do we just fight dirty then? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I think we sometimes fight dirty in that it's become, we've become very um, uh, promiscuous about accusing everyone of bigotry for any reason. It's not as colorful a way of being fighting dirty as the Republicans where they like now call everyone a groomer or a pedophile. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of boring, actually, and it doesn't work. But um, I think, yeah, I, I think we sometimes fight dirty, which we shouldn't do. But yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, it just sucks. <laughs> Everything sucks. Anyway. A good note to end on. Thank you, Meg. <laughs>
Same, bye-bye. Joshua, finish us off strong. Everything sucks. Yeah. Um, it, it sucked especially. I was playing Elden Ring, and I discovered the unlockable boss was actually Jesse, and he just automatically <laughs> auto-kills you. I still got to play that game, man. I just need to – I want to get a PlayStation 5 before I do, and they're impossible to find for under like $700. But, but the, how many hours have you put into it? Doesn't it just like eat up your whole life? Oh, I just vicariously watch other people like streamers oh, gotcha. on Twitch. Okay. Um, yeah. Fake news. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> what's going on? Uh, I, I want to play off the previous lovely person's uh, depressing comments and conversation and what it kind of what seems like a theme, which is, um, and I think a lot of us here have at least, uh, maybe not left, but at least a liberal mentality of saying, you know, like, hey, we, we believe in open dialogue and conversation. We believe in, you know, rights for all and generally, uh, w- while at the same time maintaining know, a conversation and, you know, allowing yourselves to be controversial. It seems like part of this is, is that the left does a much worse job of defending its own and rather eats its own, whether, whereas the right has its own kind of bandwagon mentality. And I, I brought this up in a previous uh, call in with you, and it just seems like there's little room nowadays for kind of a moderate, and it feels unfair to call it centrist. I, I, I'd even say it's liberal, and liberal just feels like it's uh, kind of uh, far and few in between nowadays. But it it seems like you have to take the extreme of sides. You either have to be accusing people of being homophobic and anti-trans and a turf, or you have to be accusing people of uh, being groomers and... Uh, anti-American and all the other things that come from the right. And I guess my like open question for you is how do we, how do we get more people to pay attention to this nuance? Because when I asked that kind of before, you know, you pointed to Barry and some other people, and I would argue that you're definitely in that group, but I don't think honestly they get nearly the amount of traction that, you know, someone like a Chris does where yes, he has a couple of good points, but then he mixes mixes it in with a whole lot of crazy. You mean, you mean and, Rufo, right? Yeah, exactly. Chris Rufo. Yeah. And for as much as there's a Barry, even Barry has kind of a limited reach compared to someone again, like on Chris's side who can literally change laws. Um, and it just, I guess my question is how do we build momentum? How do we build a movement for people who talk nuance? Um, like these Harper letter people, for example. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard because you can only get so far touting nuance for nuance's sake. Like you also, at some point, you need to join a coalition of other people who want certain policies. And uh, there's a fair number of the people who value nuance, like me, who I I have a lot of policy disagreements with. So I would, you know, I would team up with David French on some free speechy thing. We agree on that. But when it comes to like the tax rate or how much America should like turn itself into more of a social democracy uh, welfare state, we would disagree a lot. So I think there, it's natural that any like temporarily temporary coalitions in favor of nuance or free speech and stuff are going to disagree on other issues. And, and I also just think it's natural that the, a lot of the most popular thinkers in the country are always going to be de- demagogues. Uh, that doesn't mean there can't be a space for, intellectuals who try to bring some nuance to bear and who try to look at things in like a different shades of gray light. But I, I, yeah, I basically have no idea. I, I will say I'm not sure 
Rufo has been very influential because he's he he's launched and been able to ride a moral panic uh, that has been very successful and and he you know he's made a few fair points along the way. I'm not actually sure he's more influential in the long run than someone like Barry Weiss. I'm not sure if Chris Rufo, I don't know if he has a Substack. I, you know, Barry Weiss is like a tens of thousands of paid subscribers Substack type, which is like quite influential. And then I don't think either of them is influential as influential as like a random CNN anchor. So I, 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 I would actually make the case, by the way, if you look at numbers and someone coming from an advertising background, I mean, most of these, I mean, CNN's, you know, like, you know, thousands of viewers, you know, the m- number of views they get is abysmal. And so you do have people like mean, Chris will get on. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I, I'm just saying like, a lot of these people who are demagogues, who who are trending and have influence, they're much more influential often than uh, many of these kind of uh, anchors. And you have a couple that stand out, yes, but I'd say that a lot of these people, one of the reasons that they are so persuasive is they're lightning rods, and they make they distill things down into something that's very easy to swallow and very easy to accept. And when there's little nuance, it makes you very easy to just stop and be like, hey, that guy, that girl is right. Uh, yeah. That other side or hate, does Or stop. hate views from like, that person's wrong, but I'm going to share this video of them being wrong. Exactly. And I, 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 it, you kind of nailed it on the head, which is that when you have a coalition of nuance, you're not always allied with them. Whereas on the right, and it seems like the left is trying to learn this and they kind of suck at it, but the right always kind of you know, moves its band, you know, uh, bandwagons around itself and kind of tries to quietly criticize. But for this group of liberal people who are kind of feels like dying out, I don't, I don't know how we grow the movement, you know, to something that actually has real growth. Yeah, I'm not I'm not as up on right wing policy disputes. But I, I do think, obviously, Trump tore off a segment of the right that got sort of ousted, the never Trumpers, although they benefited too, because I think they picked up some liberal audience. But I think the right is much more better at having like a unified uh, policy platform. And even though Trump is in theory opposed to a lot of the GOP platform, like um, free trade and stuff like that, he, he's in favor of uh, – uh, sorry, sorry, he's not in favor of free trade. He's there, there, there are core GOP positions Trump did not was not in favor of. Um, uh, free trade is one of the ones where there's a divide. But, but he, as a president, he was basically just like a Republican president. He appointed the types of SCOTUS people they want. He passed a very Republican tax cut, and uh, I, they're very good at getting their act together policy wise. They're very good at not letting Merrick Garland get a, a vote. It seems like when it's like fourth quarter, two minutes left, they can really pull shit off policy-wise uh, in a way that maybe reflects a less fractured movement, even if they did have the whole expurgating the never-Trumpers, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I, I guess I would say that when we see this on the left, though, it, it does show its colors in terms of you know this unflinching criticism where they consume their own in terms of um, you know accusing anyone who identifies as a liberal but you know may question something like, trans sports, you know, while openly, you know, defending trans rights as being transphobic. And so something like that, again, it, it, it seems, again, even on the left, you have a growing coalition of people who are very, and, it, and it's not even that uh, small of a minority, because we have Biden, you, you know, pushing a general, you know, agenda towards this, where again, overall, great, you know, 
we want more trans rights, but there's no nuance in that conversation. Um, and it I just think there's a like, tendency for like yeah. some people on the left to surface debates that are just losers because they divide even the left. So, you know, for a while we were talking about abolishing and defunding the police. These are not even popular ideas on the left, let alone on the right. I, I think maybe the right, which I think has a lot of truly crazy people, maybe policy I don't know. Even as I say this, I'm not sure I believe it because like they, they also have crazy policy beliefs. It just I, I feel like I just agree with you the left. There's so much uh, circular firing squad. There's so much wasting time over policies that will never pass and that are not even popular on the left. It just it feels dysfunctional, but that could go back to what one of the first callers said, where it's just a much bigger, more diverse group of people who vote Democrat. Uh, the, the right is a lot more homogenous, and uh, there's upsides to that. Anyway, uh, maybe, maybe we'll leave it there, Joshua, or anything else. Yeah. No, that's it. Uh, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for the call. Uh, thank you guys for listening. There's been like a nice little growth in listeners lately where we got uh, ending with uh, more than 100 concurrence, which is nice. As always, I would just suggest that you – not suggest. Let me rephrase that. I would demand that you tell everyone you know about me and all my assorted projects. It's incredibly important for the future of democracy. Uh, but yeah, spread the word about the show. Open to ideas for uh, guests. I kind of want to do Ask a Cop. I, I uh, interviewed this police officer, former cop, who's now a policy guy at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice, who has some really interesting nuanced views on criminal justice stuff. I might just do Ask a Cop. Let people ask the cop whatever they want. Uh, but yeah, I want to do more stuff like that. So always open your suggestions. But in the meantime, have a nice day. Go Celtics. Bye. <laughs>